Bibi Fahodie, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. A Bibi Fahodie, the day's date is August. Second, 62-61, this is what I have been told. Trump said he was canceling his convention in Jacksonville, Duval County, to send the right message. But they plan to reopen schools. Hand-washing, I presume, for 20 seconds. Hand sanitizers, soap, mask. Grown adults don't even wear masks. We've had outbursts in places like Walmarts. And the response has been these obstructionists or those who are in rebellion still are acting like children. What do you think real children are going to do? They plan on disinfecting playgrounds, disinfecting buses, open windows in classroom. But what if a kid has asthma? Kids ought to bring their own lunches, but what about poor kids? Officials have said for years that school lunch is the only viable lunch that many of the poor kids have. We need more buses and bus drivers, even under normal circumstances. Bus drivers are limited. Busing, buses, has been strapped by depleted budgets. We need backup staffing. And of course, we know uh, state governments have to make people aware of how safe they are, as well as the federal government. Of course, that comment is dripping with sarcasm. Uh, You just take a look at Flint, Michigan. Educational system has failed anyway under normal circumstances. So, How viable or how feasible is it to open up schools? So much to do, so little time. We can talk about John Lewis, the passing of John Lewis, the passing of even Herman Cain, and the comments made by sick Willie Clinton. This is the African Liberation Media. I'm here with brothers Amos and brother McKeru. This is Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell A. Swilly. Gentlemen, take it wherever you want to take it. B.B. Fahodier, African family, another opportunity to engage in some some dialogue that is designed to uh, raise the consciousness of our people and move us closer to uh, liberation and a higher level of human life. Yes, indeed, we did. uh, This past uh, Thursday uh, was the uh, final service uh, for former congressman and former civil rights leader John Lewis who transitioned to the spiritual world at the age of 80 from a battle with pancreatic cancer. I think considered by most people to be one of the most devastating cancers that anyone could um, come down with. Uh, they had the home homecoming, homegoing services at the uh, famed Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sweet Auburn, 
Avenue in Atlanta. Ebenezer, of course, being the former of uh, the church of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Sr. and the King family. And the three former presidents all three of whom were war criminals and psychopaths, in my opinion, were were invited to uh, offer words. And I think Clinton, uh, not Clinton, but Obama was, I guess he did the official eulogy. Uh, and the things they said were things that we would expect them to say regarding uh, regarding John Lewis, because, you know, John Lewis became... Uh, a stalwart of the uh, Democrat Party liberal establishment. Uh, but for many of us, a representative of what what became neocolonialism uh, in uh, the African-American community, you know, here in the United States, where we were encouraged to pursue elective office as a solution to our problems, and by and large, uh, that strategy has failed because no one seeking power puts all of their eggs in one basket. What you wind up with is a very unbalanced approach to power when you do that. Rather than spreading your uh, social capital or spiritual energy over all of the areas, you know, whether, whether you deal with the nine areas of people activity identified by Neely Fuller and Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, or whether, you know, I, I simply reduce it to five areas, education, economics, culture, communications, and politics. But it was the speech by the person we referred to as Sick Willie Clinton former President Bill Clinton that, that got our attention. And in speaking of uh, John Lewis, who had been the chairman of SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee from 1963 to 1965, and was voted out of office in uh, 1966 and replaced by Brother Kwame Ture, then known as Stokely Carmichael. And at, regarding that decision to vote Lewis out of office, Clinton said just three years later, he lost the leadership of SNCC to Stokely Carmichael. It must have been painful to lose, but he showed as a young man that there are some things that you just cannot hang on to. You can't hang on to a position because if you do, then you won't be who you are anymore. And I will say that there were two or three years there where the movement went a little too far towards Stokely, but in the end, John Lewis prevailed. So he's he's attempting to de define the period of of time when uh, the young people who had had joined SNCC, many of them uh, beginning beginning with the uh, sit-ins in 1960, others beginning with the Freedom Rides in 1961 and and at other uh, points along the way, many of these people became radicalized because they were face to face with the uh, barbarism 
of the white supremacy dynamic in the South in particular and in the nation in general, both institutionalized and individualized uh, white supremacy. And having been confronted with this, they began to reach certain conclusions about how best do we proceed in order to get our people from under the yoke of white supremacy. They they fought for reform, but they also recognized the limitations of reform because they were aware of the history of what had happened during Reconstruction. And so what what Clinton is, is, is he's saying two things, and what John Lewis had said very almost the same thing himself, and that is that with the election of Kwame Ture in 1966 and the uh, subsequent uh, call for black power uh, during the march that had been started by James Meredith uh, in June of 1966, the march from um, Memphis, uh, Tennessee to uh, Jackson, Mississippi, and the, ca the call was issued there for black power as a result of uh, collaborative efforts uh, by several people, primarily Baba Mikasa, Willie Ricks, and and Kwame Ture, Cleve Sellers, and some others. Lewis said that SNCC became an organization that he did not know, and that he that he wanted to move away from, and he subsequently did, because he didn't think that was the direction it should go in. Lewis was a person who believed that the United States could be reformed, that the United States had a moral conscience that could be reformed. And he saw the, the draft for black power as something that, that would not affect a uh, form that he had in mind of the United States as a, as a, an, a, an, a, a country that where people could be assimilated into and it would become a multiracial democracy but but clinton is right on one point and that is based on the history he said john lewis prevailed now he didn't explain how john lewis prevailed or he didn't explain exactly what prevailed meant but john lewis prevailed because the united states government launched a war on the black liberation movement uh, which escalated uh, uh, really beginning in 1967, particularly 68, and then in, in 1969 uh, with the attacks uh, that resulted in the deaths of people like uh, Fred Hampton and Bunchy Carter and John Huggins and Mark Clark and several others. Lewis prevailed because the United States government declared war on a movement that was designed to bring about black power. What they wanted was a community that they would be able to control through people that uh, they had groomed to be the, the kind of leaders that they wanted, leaders who wouldn't ultimately challenge their power. So Clinton was right. Neocolonialism actually prevailed. Black faces, uh, white faces were replaced with white faces, and this became a sim symbolic uh, uh, example of progress when in fact the actual material conditions of the masses of African people uh, didn't change at all. 
you know, we see one example of this being the way uh, the wage earnings gap between black men and white men in the United States is exactly the same in 2020 as it was in 1950. No change whatsoever. So these were a group of people, uh, the people represented by uh, Bill Clinton, George Bush, Barack Obama, representatives of the American oligarchic psychopathocracy of white power structure, people who wanted leaders who would ease the tension. As Dr. King said, true peace is not merely the absence of tension, it's the presence of justice. What they wanted was an absence of tension, and they saw tension rising among African uh, people in the United States. Uh, you know, uh, examples being the various rebellions that were taking place in Rochester, New York, Harlem, New York, uh, the Watts area of Los Angeles, California, and in other places. They saw this taking place, and what they wanted was an absence of tension, and they needed leaders who would uh, enhance the possibility of the absence of tension, and that's what they got. So, you know, that, that, that's my take on, on, on what he was saying, uh, but, you know, the, the, the real tragedy is, you know, this is what happens when you invite psychopaths and war criminals uh, to, to funerals, uh, supposedly to honor, you know, somebody that, you know, some black people and perhaps a lot of black people uh, uh, recognize. And I, I, I can go, I can say some other things about Sick Willie, uh, but I'll leave it right there and let the uh, brothers come in on it. When I look at the situation and I assess the situation, I, I look at it like what Bill Clinton said confirmed what some people believe as John Lewis was a pawn being used by Europeans as a preferable uh, form of black resistance. It's no different than what you see today with Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is the preferable version of black resistance. White people know that they don't want any physical uh, retribution to take place from black people towards them for the crimes that they have committed. So when you have racial tensions arise, they would prefer to have a leadership in place that will be less forceful and less physical and somebody who would more so geared towards promoting assimilation. So when I view John Lewis, I view him as someone who was naturally willing to assimilate and also naturally willing to promote things that were beneficial to the white establishment. Um, I think that Bill Clinton, by him stating that John Lewis succeeded, uh, is a very bold statement to me because uh, most black people who are smart enough to understand our history and understand the difference between a Kwame Ture as Bill Clinton didn't even have enough respect to call him by his name, uh, even though he is an ancestor now, he did what Europeans always do. He called them by his European given name, Stokely Carmichael. So by Bill Clinton being bold enough to state this, it really shows the 
high level of low level negro uh thinking in that room at the time for him to feel comfortable to be able to make that type of statement and i think it was a a a, a very uh a very blunt assessment of the time period and what you just stated in the type of black leadership that they wanted to succeed in that time in those times but what we have to learn from that is it's happening like i said it's happening again right now right now white people are formulating the idea of black resistance as we know it and disguising it in a group called black lives matter and this is the group that they are 100 percent behind over the real black resistance that they don't want to see come to the forefront of the front lines uh, brother glenn ford from black agenda radio coined the term co-opaganda uh, making that analogous with the Kentic cloth and the um, the fakery that is taking place that you typically see by way of uh, electronic uh, media, uh, the Kentic cloth, the kneeling, etc., 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 designed for you to weaken your resistance. I'm reminded of what. Uh, Brother Amawali, Malcolm X told us, he said, they will not endorse anything or any person, any group in advance who struggles beyond the scope of the ground rules that has been established by the uh, power structure. And given the reality that we are, in fact, uh, a critical point in our move from confusion to clarity, people are confused you know, the lies that have been told to cover up the other lies and more lies have grown so high. El Rage stated this, that uh, we have forgotten the original lie when they ran down these lies in, in the midst <laughs> of the confusion. And I think people, I think people are scared. I think uh, when people like John Lewis take a position um, that he took in saying that he didn't agree with the direction that Snick was going in, I think it's out of a space of fear and a lot of people right now don't even want to admit that they're scared that they're scared of potentially being hurt that they're scared of potentially being locked up that they're scared of potentially even losing their life we would be so further along if people would just come out and admit hey you know what i'm afraid i'm afraid let me get out of the way to people who are not afraid Instead of thinking that you can calling it reform instead of fear. It's, it's fear. It's not reform. If you look in the natural order of species throughout the universe. If a lion attacks a honeybee nest. Even though that lion is much bigger than those honeybees. It's much more ferocious than those honeybees. Those honeybees are going to attack no matter how big the opponent is. If you walk into your backyard and you step in an ant pile, those ants are going to attack you. They're not going to worry about you smacking them 
or rubbing them off your leg and killing them. They're not going to worry about the consequences. Their natural instinct is to attack. In nature, no, no matter how small a species is, or smaller a species is than another species, if it is under attack, then it's naturally going to fight back. And this is something that has been stripped away from the African mentality, primarily through the Ma'afa, that has reduced us to a level where we are afraid to fight back in fear of an opponent being greater than us. No matter how many times we speak of black resistance, there's always somebody who says we're not prepared enough, we're not ready. And that is a statement made out of fear. So just come out and say, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I would rather go home and do things in a way that will not put my life or my livelihood in jeopardy. If you can at least be honest with us and be honest with yourself, then we can know where to draw the line. But what these people try to do is they try to hide their fear in false courageousness. And then make it seem as though they are heroes that are often celebrated by whites. And if you haven't done enough work in this physical realm, that by the time you leave, you are no longer celebrated by whites, then that means that the work that you did was not far enough on the side of liberation for black people. Because it's certain people who transition into the spiritual realm as ancestors who will never be celebrated by whites at a funeral or any other type of program in fact whites will be cursing them and they will be glorifying the day that they pass and hoping that no one like them ever comes on the face of this planet again yeah that's true and the people like that that would that would hold you know a funeral for someone with that mentality would never invite anybody you know like sick willie clinton to a funeral so i mean it, it says what it it it, it talk it, it it talks about how widespread this this particular mentality is that i mean you think about this this is what i wrote um, on one of our posts as regards the political pathology of sick willie clinton we could call him a lot of things the low leader express clinton and a whole lot of other things that the, the dawn the dawn of the of the Clinton crime family, but what I said was, if the new Jim Crow was a crime syndicate, Sick Willie would be its Don of Dons. He would be the godfather of all godfathers, and Crime Bill Biden would be his capo regime, or one of his, or one of his capo regimes, like Clemenza and Tessio. The capo regime. Capo regimes, no doubt about it. So, um, so. The New Jim Crow by uh, Michelle Alexander is an indictment of people like Bill Clinton. And why did this come about? Because what does white supremacy do? White supremacy always has to have a system of control. And we've been, uh, you know, as Gullah Jack and I discussed on the chocolate box with the brother T.X. Green, we've been the the structures various structures of white supremacy have been torn down but the foundation remains in place the foundation being the mass-based philosophy of white supremacy and racialized capitalism 
So what happens is the structure of chattel slavery had run its course. You know, it had it been expanded to its maximum capacity. That structure was torn down. But the foundation on which chattel slavery was built remained in place. And so after uh, maybe about 10 or 12 years of, uh, of refinement, the new system of control emerges, known as Jim Crow segregation or what I call American apartheid. So people launch a, a struggle against the system of control, American apartheid, an heroic struggle. Many people were killed just to bring about basic reforms that had already been guaranteed in the Constitution and in, in, with other laws on the books. The structure of American apartheid was torn down and the foundation once again remained intact. Therefore, you know, they go through a period of reforms, uh, a, a period where, you know, white supremacy is, is attempting, is trying to regroup and, 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 and develop the new system of control. And some, sometimes uh, the ele various elements of the white supremacy dynamic don't always agree on, you know, what what form of control uh, they want. Uh, the liberals, for example, Kwame Ture said, what a liberal really wants is to bring about change that will not in any way endanger his position. So, you know, you get the fallacy, uh, you know, you get a, you get what a, a facade, what appears to be, appears to be, you know, people who are serious about, about bringing about change and all they're trying to figure out is what is a more effective way for them to maintain their position. But this is what Alexander said about Clinton. And this is why this man should never be invited anywhere. I mean, anybody inviting him obviously is aligning themselves with his policies. Bill Clinton provided over the largest increase in federal and state prison inmates of any president in American history. Clinton championed the idea of a federal three strikes law in his 1994 State of the Union address and months later signed a $30 billion crime bill that created dozens of new federal capital crimes, mandated life sentences for some three strike offenders and authorized more than $16 billion for the state prison grants and expansion of, uh, of police forces. When Clinton left office in 2001, the United States had the highest rate of incarceration in the world. Human Rights Watch reported that in seven states, African-Americans constituted 80 to 90 percent of all drug offenders sent to prison, even though they were no more likely than whites to use or sell illegal drugs. Prison admissions for drug offenses reached a level in uh, 2000 for African-Americans more than 26 times the level of 1983. All of the presidents since 1980 have contributed to mass incarceration, but as Equal Justice Initiative founder Brian Stevenson recently observed, President Clinton's tenure was the worst. It was the Clinton administration that supported many of the laws and practices that now serve millions into a permanent underclass. For example, it was the Clinton administration that supported federal legislation denying financial aid to students, college students, who had once been caught with drugs. It was the Clinton administration that passed laws discriminating against people with criminal records, 
making it nearly impossible for them to have access to public housing. It was the Clinton administration that championed a federal law denying even food stamps, food support to people convicted of drug felonies. Now, those were the words of Michelle Alexander. A lot of people will remember Clinton's three strikes and you out law, which has a lot of people in prison today because, uh, you know, you have these laws also at the state level. But he also had a law called one strike and you out. And what the one strike uh, law was, people who were living in public housing, if someone in public housing got caught or someone who happened to be living in a, in a, in a public housing uh, a residence, if they happened to get caught with a joint of marijuana, they could be kicked out. But the way this would work is, let's say uh, grandma has to take in a grandson because the parents are dysfunctional. Something happened. Grandson is across town selling weed. Grandson gets busted selling weed. Grandma then gets kicked out of public housing. So, you know, this is the kind of person that uh, these folks chose to allow into uh, the hollowed grounds of Ebenezer uh, Baptist Church, you know, where Dr. King uh, delivered his second speech, which the speech one to me is the greatest speech on his opposition to the war in Vietnam and several other sermons del were delivered from the pulpit, you know, in that facility. And of course, uh, you know, his tomb, the tomb of uh, Dr. King and his wife, Coretta Scott King, you know, a uh, within the shadows of the church. Uh, so it's tragic, in my opinion, that we operate at this level, that 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 we that, that we don't operate from the perspective of African-centered holistic thinking, and say let's look at the total package, you know, not just a dude playing a, a saxophone on the Arsenio Hall show wearing shades or whatever. Let's look at the total package of what this guy brought, uh, you know, to uh, down on us, and you know that's why I call him the Don of Dons. Uh, of uh, the new Jim Crow, which uh, is one is one aspect of the new system of control that uh, that they uh, constructed on the foundation, uh, which has never been disrupted, you know, since 1619. I want to make a uh, statement. It's based on the concept of refinement. We talked about it on the chocolate box a week ago. Nearly Fuller, he writes, the refinement of white supremacy means to improve methods of maintaining the global system. It means that white supremacy strives to decrease the use of direct violence. This is the ideal stage of racial subjugation, speaking and acting in a manner that makes the, pra the practice of white supremacy more acceptable to the victims, more appealing the refinement stage includes, and of course he talks about speech and or action that appears to be against white supremacy, but in truth it is the promotion of white supremacy in a different form. This is uh, the words of Neely Fuller, and of course uh, a little later we can get into uh, <clears throat> the subterfuge that is taking place in the form of this jockeying over various electoral officials, uh, which has people involved in a great deal of conversation. Who will Joe Biden pick? 
as his vice presidential running mate. Having said that, uh, I guess we can segue in, uh, into the specifics of that. We're talking about uh, Kamala Harris, Miss Mass Incarceration, Prosecutor Parents, Building More Jails. She wants to bring back the 90s, even though she condemns the 90s. You know, we know it's not going to be Sanders. Uh, of course, uh, another name we heard mentioned here recently is Karen Bass, uh, endorsed by Bakari Sellers. Suffice it to say, you should raise your eyebrow. If he endorses anybody, uh, sister probably made a big mistake when she endorsed the Church of Scientology. Of course, that's an, enough to derail most black people in terms of who we should support uh, I mean you know show us the money in the neighborhoods show us the money in the colonial enclaves I don't care what you believe you know be it Shango or whoever you know um, I have to agree with sister Nina Turner when she said that voting for JB Joe Biden Jim Crow Joe is like eating a bowl of S or human feces, she didn't specify, dog feces. Voting for Joe Biden is like eating a bowl of S. Of course, that's no endorsement of uh, Herr Feuer, Don Trump, Donald Trump. The white man has two political parties. But, uh, you know, perhaps in terms of a woman of color, they may um, select Elizabeth Warren for comedy relief. She has claimed to be of indigenous descent. But uh, go ahead, man. I I don't have any comments really on who uh, uh, Crime Bill Biden, uh, you know, plans to choose for his uh, running mate. Uh, I would be surprised if he doesn't implode during the uh, during the campaign. But you know, that's that's on them. Uh, you know, I I just have not dealt with it. I'm more concerned with other issues. One of the things that continues uh, to plague us is the, what I call the tyranny of stray bullets. So many children being killed. I mean, when you think about organized crime, the La Cosa Nostra. Uh, Certain things they didn't do, brother. Well, I mean, it's like, they had an organization, supposedly, uh, an organization called, that was known as Murder, Inc. Uh, people like Louis Lepke, Buckhalter, Albert Anastasia, and others. And they had their wars, uh, you know, doing prohibition and afterwards because they were in a, in, in a fight for the control of territory, just like you know, the United States Army when it invaded Haiti in 1915, <laughs> you know, and other countries, the Philippines, for example. So, but the, but the point here is that, that Murder, Inc. would go through an elaborate, elaborate process for 
choosing how they executed one of their enemies. What we see, and I, I, I got to believe that a lot of this is a result, I think, of the damaging effect that opioids is having in our community, even though it's not being discussed. I mean, there's got to be a reason why these people are shooting at one another, just like they were shooting at one another during the height of the crack cocaine epidemic in the 1990s. These people, these criminals simply fire uh, with reckless abandon in at anyone and it doesn't it doesn't matter who happens to be in the vicinity and uh, just uh, this week uh, we had uh, there was a nine-year-old kid named Janari Ricks we'll have to see if there's any relationship there uh, the child had been inside all day his mother decided uh, that afternoon someone knocked on the door asked if, if he could come outside the kid went outside. Some people started shooting, and this nine-year-old child was killed. Now, 16 children under the age of 10 have been killed in Chicago over the past six weeks. 16 children. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's no doubt that most of these deaths are being done by what I'm calling the clan of Negro killers. Mm. And when I say Negro, I'm saying K-N-E-E-G-R-O-W. Mm. The clan of Negro killers, KKK. And uh, like I said, at least the mafia, they, they would develop elaborate plans to specifically target uh, their enemies. And usually they would walk up on somebody. They killed Albert Anastasia in a barbershop. He was in a barbershop getting a shave. They walked right up on him and killed him. And, you know, and... You look at Capone's St. Valentine's Day Massacre, how much strategy and planning went into that uh, when he sent machine gun Jack McGurn and the others in there to, to gun down members of the Bugs Moran uh, gang fighting over territory once again, uh, just like the United States fighting to take Libya or Iraq. So, uh, you know, this, this is what's taking place. This this particular child uh, was a straight-A student who loved math. I mean, we are killing probably people that could be uh, M-Hotel. You just don't know what potential is being lost. He was a huge fan of the NBA star uh, Stephen Curry. But if professional sports didn't work, now this is a nine-year-old thinking ahead. He had a backup plan. His mother said if he wasn't able to pursue his dreams of becoming an athlete, he wanted to do construction. He wanted to help rebuild a community. And mm. that was taken away. Uh, how much potential is being taken away, you know, with these children? In Hammond, Indiana, a two-year-old child who they've only identified as JoJo was sitting in a car with her, her, her mother in an apartment complex, two people start, two groups of people started shooting at one another, and this two-year-old child got shot in the head. She survived mm. two days before she succumbed. 
So, I mean, this is, this in, this in my opinion, I mean, you're dealing with a group of people, no lives matter to them. They don't even care about their own lives. No lives. And how did this mentality come about in our community? If you read Du Bois's uh, Philadelphia study in the uh, ghetto, the seventh ward of uh, of Philadelphia in the 1880s when Du Bois was there, he has a section in in that book on crime. Now, there were about 40,000 black people. It was the largest black urban community at the time. Eventually, it would be uh, eclipsed by Harlem. But there were years when no one was arrested for a homicide. There were other years when one person may have been arrested or three of the years that he did his study. And so how did this come about? You know, what what happened in our community? How did we reach this level of, of, of mentality where, you know, our, our spirituality has been so reduced to the base of the path that we just don't care who we kill? And, you know, I think it's I, I really think that, that that turf wars being fought, I believe, I think, uh, you know, it's uh, the sale of drugs. I think that's definitely a process. We have other people who have different uh, opinions about why this is taking place. But it's something that we as a as a community that we need to we need a mass movement to bring a bring about an end to it. Uh, yeah, I think, man, we have to really sit back and think about the not only the lives that are being lost, but like you said, the potential and also just the devastation that it's doing to the parents of these children. You know, parents that, you know, they worked hard <laughs> to have a child. They made many sacrifices for the child. I mean, just think about raising a child from the time that they're born. You know, think about all those days of changing diapers, all those days, all those late nights of waking up late when the child is crying at night, to to teaching them their first words, to teaching them how to walk. You know, all those things matter, man. And then just for it to be taken away in in a split second like that. And what appears to be no remorse by these individuals who are committing these crimes is a, is the most cowardly act that can be done in our community. It's as simple as that. It's the most cowardly act that if you are shooting at someone and you mistakenly hit a child, you should be man enough as a man to step up and say, you know, it was me, I was wrong, and I accept all of the consequences that go along with my actions. That's a man. A man, a coward is somebody who who shoots and then hides after they kill an innocent child. An innocent child who had nothing to do with whoever you were shooting at or whatever reason you were shooting for. It's ridiculous. It's, it's going to take men in our community to stop this because law enforcement is not going to stop it yeah you're right the government has already proved that they're not going to stop it it's going to take us to once again act as men 
and we're going to have to step to these guys and start making them pay for a lot of the stuff that they're doing. You know, you're right almost. I mean, uh, you know, they, 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 there's got to be a, you know, there's got to be a mental health crisis. You know, the stress, I, I just I just couldn't imagine it. I mean, I just, I, it, it, it's, it's, it's almost unfathomable. I just can't, can't imagine, you know, thinking about my two children and somebody doing that. I mean, I would go, I know I would go berserk. And I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I would do I don't care what anybody says. I would do everything within my power to take that person off the planet. That's I'm right. serious. And yeah. I, if, if I got a, whatever consequences I got to suffer, I wouldn't care. I would not care. You have got to go. Period. Now, nobody sees it. Well, people say, oh, you know, that just breeds more violence. And what? Look. No, it sets the standard. It sets the standard to. Go ahead, brother. Go ahead. It, set, it, it sets the standard. For people to know that there's consequences for this to prevent more violence. It doesn't bring more violence. There has to be some type of consequences for individuals who feel that they can freely do this and nothing will happen to them. And there's already a, a, a silence code where people feel like they don't want to snitch on the person that did the shooting. So it has to be somebody who knows who did the shooting, but in our community people are not going to talk because they're considered to be a snitch but it yeah. has to be a yeah. new and and, and, and there's set. a lot of fear too i mean you know we remember what happened with angela dawson mm -hmm. and her family you know in baltimore uh you know courageous sister uh who uh went to war against uh drug dealers and had no protection no Nobody from the community protected her. The police didn't protect her. And so uh, these drug dealers one night hired one of her neighbors to firebomb the house. And her entire family, she and her, uh, her husband and her children, I can't remember how many children it was, three children, I believe, were all killed mm. in the firebombing because the way... The way the guy, the guy may have known exactly how the house, he may have had the floor plans, you know, like the FBI when they raided Fran Hampton. He knew that if he placed the firebombs in certain places, then they would be trapped. And I think some of them did wind up like jumping out of windows or whatever, but uh, they were all killed. There should have been some armed guards, you know, to protect this sister. But once again, see, you can't do but so much as an individual and you can get out there and you, you totally commit it and you willing to sacrifice. And, you know, if I'm willing to sacrifice and it's just me, then that's one thing. But then when you into our family and, uh, you know, is at stake, I mean, you know, maybe somebody should have been on guard duty, you know, uh, obviously the children couldn't, but th this is what happens. See, when people see examples like this, they see people getting killed and whatnot. Then, of course, there is there is there is a fear factor there, just like the fear factor you were mentioning, uh, you know, with uh, you know uh, Lewis and in that particular uh, clique or whatever. So, it's it's a difficult situation. It has to, it has to be an organized you know mass movement. Um, 
probably needs some uh, Russell Maroon Schultz gorilla type of activity uh, to step to these people and say, okay, here's, here's the deal, right? I mean, here's, here's the deal. And this, is what, take, this, this is what's going to happen. I mean, it, it's going to take some courageous lone wolves too. You know, we can't well, yeah. forget the power of the, of, of the lone wolf. Like you said, if that was your family or that was your child, then you would not hesitate to to receive some type of justice. And and I and I think that the minute that all black men make that declaration, then you will stop seeing a lot of these shootings take place. Because people will know that it's gonna be a bounty out for me if I kill an innocent child. It's very disheartening, uh, to say the least. You know, we know Dr. Fuller, as well as Francis Welsing, they articulated the uh, 10 basic stops. And of course, uh, one dealt with stop the killing, which is a mantra that's been used by many, even the Nation of Islam. Uh, exceptions when forced to do so in direct defense of self or others. And so we all concur that this heinous activities, this heinous behavior needs to be stopped. Yeah, and see, the other, the other thing is this. I mean, uh, the, the, there, are, there are conditions that, are, that, that, that have produced this mentality and that are driving this violence. I mean, it's it's nothing, it's it's really nothing unusual about it. You know, when 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 you look at the conditions, I mean, you look for example at the Irish, you look at the gangs of New York, for example, right? Uh, you look at the Italians doing a prohibition, okay, uh, scrambling over uh, resources uh, to survive and to uh, to enrich, you know, certain certain uh, you know people others uh, but 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 when you when you create conditions where for example is is to me is no different from uh, the conditions that you know doing chattel slavery I mean the the, the profits to be made was so enormous uh, you know particularly with uh, you know the discovery of the cotton gin who didn't want to be a slave owner if you were a white person in the United States, right? I mean, you had some moral people like the Quakers, but everybody benefited from it. So, so when 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 you have conditions in a community uh, economically depressed, because you you talk you're talking about communities, and I've said this many times, you're talking about communities like, say, for example, Chicago and Detroit, where over Seven out of ten black males were employed in 1970, and now the percentages are about 4.3 or 4.5 out of out of 10. What happens? Are the, the 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 oligarchs, the capitalist class, decided to move the jobs out of those communities? Black politics has failed because it has not provided the economic development that the, those communities need 
because uh, you know, just like uh, the father uh, the, the says out in uh, in Los Angeles, nothing stops a bullet like a job. I mean, Roger Lane in his book *Murder in America*, when he talks about the homicide rate among the Irish in uh, the uh, post-Civil War period and the Italians in the uh, in the first third of the uh, 20th century, you know, during the uh, Prohibition era, when when you look at why were their homicide rates so high and how were they reduced? They were reduced by employment in the industrial sector, a sector that had largely been uh, put in place based on the exploitation of Africans doing chattel slavery. So this was so employment reduced the homicide rates Uh the white power structure, seeing white bodies stacking up, you know, 500 people were killed in Chicago in 1928. Okay, I think right now it's August the 2nd, and I think they're already at over 400 in Chicago now. But in 1928, during Prohibition, when Al Capone and Bugs Moran and Dion O'Banion and all these people were fighting one another, white bodies were stacking up like cords of wood in Chicago. What did the power structure do? They say, we got to repeal prohibition. We have got to repeal prohibition. Too many white people are dying. Now, these drugs, you have a same, you have the same thing, prohibition, particularly something, you know, as simple as marijuana. You know, it, this, this, this causes a lot of the violence that, that, that we see taking place in our community. So whereas we know what's necessary, but you need a mass movement because you've got to change the conditions. You need people to say, look, we're not going to tolerate this. At the same time, you need a mass movement that says we got to have economic development. You know, why can't we operate as a nation within a nation and establish our trade links, you know, with countries in Africa, okay, countries in the Caribbean. So what I'm saying is when we're looking at it, we have to look at the total picture of what of what uh, of what's necessary, because as Amos Wilson says, America is a cramogenic society. You know, it's going to produce crime. But this but see, we were not always engaged in this when our families were more intact even when we had more, even higher levels of poverty, there was a sense that, you know, we honored life, okay? So these things have to be reversed, but what I'm saying is that we, 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 we have to deal with the conditions that are producing this. Oh, and it, as Brother you know, Jim and I said when he was on here, a lot of these young people in the streets now are the children of the fathers who were incarcerated by Sick Willie. Mm-hmm. They were raised, they were ra- their fathers were in prison. Now they, they're growing up and they're in the streets and they're doing the same thing. So that's, you know, we, 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 have, to look, we have to look at the total picture. Yeah, and these conditions will be exacerbated uh, by the fact that uh, for the past three months, 
many families, a third of the families across the board have been unable to pay rent or buy food. So we're talking about a social explosion that has internecine consequences is inevitable. No doubt about it. You, you, you know, you got the uh, COVID situation and an oligarchy, a psychopathic oligarchy that is unwilling to deal with the uh, basic variables uh, that would uh, mitigate or eliminate this COVID. We're talking about the same things Dr. King talked about many years ago, a guaranteed basic income so that people can stay at home, social distancing and everything else. But the cryogenic tendency and nature of this society is reflected in the fact that they are willing to sacrifice millions of people, you know, across the board just to uh, salvage some semblance of a faltering economy. You know, yeah, it's, um, a, it's this, this. I mean, this, this is a crisis. This is an un, un, unprecedented crisis. There's no question about that. And, uh, you know, we saw a lot of governments in Europe actually providing money to corporations so that, uh, you know, they could continue to keep people on their payrolls. Now, that's for people who already had jobs, whatever. We were we were already in a situation in our community where, where, where we were dealing with massive uh, unemployment, particularly among young, uh, you know, African males. Uh, these people are not even part of the statistics. And so when 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 you talk about the official uh, unemployment rate of the United States, they don't even count. And so you can't even judge that. But now you got all these other people who have been thrown out of work. And like you said, you got a you got we, we, we already have a massive problem of homelessness. You know, our, our communities have, have been gentrified. People have already, you know, losing homes. You know, we had a massive uh, loss of homes with the gimmicks uh, that uh, Wall Street played back in uh, 2000, uh, between 2007 and 2009, uh, where, uh, you know, with this subprime uh, lending crisis, we had a massive loss of of uh, people lo losing homes and whatnot. You know, my, ho my home was foreclosed on, you know, during that crisis. So, but but now, I mean, it's there are so many more millions of people. I mean, you look at the people who are lining up every day to receive, you know, uh, supplemental food. You know, they they they're going every day to to places to to, to pick up food just to survive. Uh, it, it it it's 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 unbelievable when when you think about the potential consequences of it, because. When, when you get something like this, then people are going to do everything they can to survive and they're going to they're going to do it no matter who they, uh, you know, got to take it from. You know, that's a lot different from these guys that are just firing shots, uh, you know, just, you know, because, you know, they might be engaged in, you know, some uh, a turf war with somebody to be able to sell drugs or whatever. But, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the. The loss of a job, on some level, we have to be able to attest to this. The loss of a job is a loss to a person's mental health. We got a mental health crisis out there. And sadly, the first responder, we've seen this in Charlotte oftentimes, is the police. 
So it's just a confluence of a lot of different variables that will lead to an explosion of a powder keg that's that's simmering. Mm. Absolutely, and the, and and uh, the 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 two wings of the uh, power structure can't agree on how you know how they're going to to deal with this. I mean, what they've been doing. Uh, first of all, they they've just been printing a lot of money, but you're giving trillions of dollars to the Wall Street oligarchs as if they are hurting. And that money is not going to, you know, the masses of people. It's just like what people were saying during the during the uh, subprime housing crisis when when people's homes were being foreclosed on. Give the money to the homeowners to allow them to pay the bills. That money is still going back to the banks, but rather they gave it to the banks. And so, you know, now we, we, we see the government. They, 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 they don't want to, the Republicans don't want to extend the federal uh unemployment benefits of $600 a week because they said that uh, was uh, it provided an, uh, a disincentive a disincentive to people to go to work I thank you Jack for the for the word I was trying to figure out how exactly <laughs> how exactly to say that and so and so basically because because people were able to collect this this federal uh, check plus a state check OK. And so you had some people that were were definitely probably making more a week. You yeah, know, I mean, it's say close to a thousand dollars a week. Huh? Some people were making close to a thousand dollars a week. Thousand dollars a week. Right. And so. If they were working on a job making, you know, ten dollars an hour, you know, they they can't agree uh, on what it should be extended to. And the Republicans have come up with all this ridiculous stuff talking about, well, let's give them 70 percent of what they were making. Well, I mean, look, you got people that that filed for unemployment in April and they've never collected a dime. And now you're going to complicate the matters where now they got to try to determine, you know, well, what what is 70 uh, percent of uh, of two hundred dollars or seven, you know, 70 percent. I mean, you know, I, I'm assuming it would be gross. Uh, you know, and not net, but that's ridiculous. Just agree on a sum, but at the same time, at some point, at some point, you can't keep doing this without without the situation becoming, you know, unsustainable. I mean, because all the government is doing is printing money, mm. but people deserve something. These Wall Street oligarchs don't deserve a dime. Mm -hmm. And why are you giving them three trillion dollars? See, I mean, that's that. See, to me, that's that's the real tragedy. And, uh, you know, you, you, you know, you got that. Uh, it's, it's a real crisis because that that money ran out this week. You know, a lot of people got their last government checks this week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like North Carolina has one of the worst Lowest, uh, lowest unemployment ins insurance uh, mm -hmm. programs in the whole country. I mm -hmm. think it has the worst, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I think it's only for 13 weeks. I know when I was unemployed, I think it was 26 weeks. And they reduced it under uh, who was the last governor here? McCory. McCory. Pat McCory. Pat McCory. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, it, it this 
it's one hell of a mess, brother. And and the thing of it is, it it, it could have been mitigated with just common sense. It could have been mitigated. I mean, just a common sense didn't create the virus in the first place. Yeah, it's just a common sense approach. I mean, it could have been mitigated. I mean, you know, the virus definitely has a lot of characteristics that looks like it was, you know, escaped from a lab. It was something, you know, that was manufactured. But just common sense. And and you have all these people that pulling guns on somebody because they won't wear a mask. I mean, man, I tell you, it's really it's unbelievable, brother. In the words of the last poets, racism and greed keeps the people in need from <laughs> getting what is rightfully theirs. Cheating, stealing, and double dealing exploits the people's fears. They will conclude by saying, and they use their eagle, eagle as their symbol because it's a bird of prey. Mm. This is the African Liberation Media, Bibi Fahodier. Baby Power or the lack of power.